Well, good morning. It's good to have you guys at our first ever 11 o'clock service at the Southwood campus. Um, wanted to start out by uh, giving you guys a few little last minute announcements. There's a lot going on right now. While I'm giving them, you can turn to Habakkuk. That's where we are uh, this morning. We're finishing up our Heroes of the Faith uh, sermon series this summer by looking at Habakkuk. If you're not familiar, it's a tiny little book at the end of your Old Testament, fifth book from the end of the Old Testament. Uh, Let's see, while we're turning there, a few things that are going on that I wanted to let all of you know about. Adopt an Aggie is going to be coming up really soon. Uh, It's one of really the coolest ministries we've done here at Grace Bible Church over the years. We partner mature, healthy families with incoming college students. And uh, they'll spend, um, you know, maybe they'll have lunch or dinner together every other week or once a month for, for a year or two and really build some deep relationships. And for the students, it's good because they get to see a healthy, mature family. And for the families, it's good because their kids get to look up to a college student who's walking with the Lord. For everybody, it's, it's a win-win. And so uh, actually right now is, is the time for families to sign up. So if you are a family that's, that's healthy and you would like to adopt some college students, you can sign up in the foyer this afternoon. And then I think starting next week, we'll start to sign up students uh, to be adopted by these families. So that's the first thing to let you know about. The second um, is, is our ministry called Youth Impact. I don't know if you guys have heard about it. It's, it's our outreach to the underprivileged youth in the Bryan College Station area. Uh, We have college student leaders who go to North Bryan and to Southgate and and pick up tons of kids and bring them to the church and play basketball with them and hang out with them and teach them about Jesus and help them to grow in their faith. Um, But we have a problem. The law has changed on us and now kids have to ride in booster seats till they're pretty much like 80 years old. And so we, we really need lots of booster seats for these college students who are going and picking up kids from these neighborhoods. So, um, I look at, I know a lot of you uh, probably don't have booster seats right now, but booster seats are actually really inexpensive. If you would like to do something for the Lord's work through Youth Impact, run to Target, run to Walmart. You'll be there anyways. 20 bucks, pick up a booster seat. Bring it here to the Southwood campus or to the Anderson campus during office hours, or you can bring it here next Sunday and drop it off in the office. It's a really easy way to serve the underprivileged youth in this town. So help us out with that. If we can't get enough booster seats, then Youth Impact can't begin until we do. Okay, so those are my announcements. I actually wanted to start this morning in a very uh, different place. For those of you who are regulars, you know that uh, Julie and I have 10-month-old twins now, and a lot has happened this summer. A lot of you have been, been gone, so I thought I'd give you updates. Um, for Luke and for Gracie, it's been a summer of lots of firsts. That video was actually Friday. Luke, for the first time, started walking. He uses a little walker, but doing it on his own is really fun. He's having a blast, and, and shortly after that, of course, fell over. That's unavoidable. But um, Gracie's not quite as far along in the walking, but she's our social child, so she's waving at people now, which is really fun to see. There's, there's all these firsts going on. Now, unfortunately, not all the firsts are fun. Uh, last week, we had our first sickness. So both Luke and Gracie got the cold. For Gracie, it turned into an ear infection. And uh, for Julie and I, this is our first time being parents of sick kids. And uh, that wasn't really fun. <laughs> Actually, it was, it was a pretty sad week, honestly. Every morning I wake up with the kids and I go wake them up. And I'd, I'd wake up Luke and Gracie and um, their faces would just be covered with snot and, and they're having a hard time breathing. And, and they start to cough, this really pathetic little, uh, little cough trying to clear out their mouths and they're crying and they're just looking at you and you know they're wondering, what is going on? Why, why is my head broken? Why is my nose running and my throat hurts and, and my forehead is all hot? Mom, dad, what's going on? And, 
And there's not a lot that Julie and I can say to them. I mean, what, what are we going to do? Luke and Gracie, um, sorry, but that's like the first of a hundred colds that you're going to have in the next few years. And some of them are going to be a lot worse. So welcome to the world. Glad, glad to have you. <laughs> Luke and Gracie are just beginning to understand that while there's a lot of wonderful things in this world, a lot of uh, blessed things, there are also a lot of painful things in life, like sickness. Now, now that's not how God designed it to be. When God created the heavens and the earth, they were free from pain and sickness and suffering. When God created the earth, he planted the Garden of Eden and he placed man and woman in it. And it was a place of perfection. Everything was wonderful. God evaluates his creation. Genesis 1.31. God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. There was nothing painful, nothing bad, nothing hurtful in all of creation. But then Adam and Eve sinned. And their sin changed all of that. In an instant, their sin brought futility and pain and suffering and ultimately death into the human existence. And some years after the book of Genesis, we get the book of Job. Job looks at it life and comes to a very different evaluation. Man born of a woman lives but a few days and they are full of trouble. They are full of trouble. Life outside the Garden of Eden is full of trouble. Pain and suffering and disappointment are our constant companions in life. That's just part of the reality of life. We will experience pain on a regular basis. That may be physical pain, whether it's a a backache or a chronic illness, like Chip was praying for this morning for a lot of people in our congregation. It it could be relational pain. If, If you are dating somebody, if you get married, if you have kids, you find out that relationships don't work like they should. They're hard. There's lots of suffering in there. Uh, It includes emotional pain, stress and anxiety over maybe school's not working out well. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe finances are tight. Pain in one form or another is a constant and inescapable companion in this life. Now, I know that's not a happy way to begin a sermon, but you guys know it's true. You've been around long enough to know that this life is hard. It is often painful. It is frequently difficult. And so I wanted us to end our summer series by looking at a man named Habakkuk, a man who faced pain and suffering and came out of it a hero. Now, a little bit of background on the book of Habakkuk. Uh, Habakkuk wrote it to the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, around 600 BC. It was a bad time for Judah. Society was not in good shape in the nation of Judah. In particular, uh, there were a a small number of, of wealthy people, of rich people, who had corrupted the government to their own ends. They had the court system in their back pocket. So they ensured that they were always the ones who were favored in government and in society. That left everybody else, the very small middle class in the ancient world and all the poor people out to fend for themselves. They they were not taken care of. They were often oppressed. They were taken advantage of. They were even murdered if it suited the pocketbook of the wealthy. Now Habakkuk is a prophet of the Lord. He's a righteous man and he sees this social injustice and it grieves him. It tears him up that his society is so corrupt and greedy and unjust. And so uh, that really grieves him. So he turns to the Lord and asks God what's going on. And that's actually where the book of Habakkuk begins. So let's look at Habakkuk chapter one. It begins with Habakkuk's question to God. Look starting in verse one. The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw How long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? I cry out to you violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? You cause me to look on wickedness. Yes, destruction and violence are before me. 
Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. Now, this is almost more of an accusation than a question. Habakkuk is really torn up inside. He is really grieving over all the injustice he sees. He's asking God, God, how can you allow this corruption to go unpunished? Why are you not stepping in and making things right? Why are you not bringing justice upon these corrupt people? So Habakkuk has asked the question. Now, we don't know what Habakkuk was expecting. Did he think he'd get an answer from God? Well, he does. He actually gets an audible answer from God starting in the next verse. Look with me, starting in verse five. We'll just read part of it. Look among the nations, says the Lord. Observe, be astonished, wonder, because I'm doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. Now, what God is saying here to Habakkuk, he starts by saying, you know what, Habakkuk, you're right. You're right. There's a lot of corruption and greed in your society, and I need to do something about that. I am about to act, Habakkuk, but I'm not going to do what you expect. What I'm going to do is I'm going to raise up these people called the Chaldeans. Those are actually the Babylonians is what we call them. A powerful people. They were incredibly violent, incredibly strong military. For that reason, they were feared throughout the earth. They had conquered much of the ancient world in a small amount of time. And God says, Habakkuk, I'm going to raise up these violent people, these Babylonians. I'm going to bring them into Judah. And I'm going to use them as my blunt instrument of judgment against your nation. As verse 11 says, they will sweep in like the wind. I'm going to use them to destroy your cities, defeat your army, kill most of your people, and exile the rest. That's God's answer to Habakkuk. And use the Babylonians as my sledgehammer of judgment against your nation. Now, it's not hard to to guess that that was probably not the answer Habakkuk was looking for. (laughs) Habakkuk was asking God, God, will you please judge this person here and this person here, these particularly wicked people in our society? And God says, no, I'm going to come in and I'm going to judge the whole nation. It would be like us praying to God, God, please do something about the, the greed and immorality in the United States. Please fix that, God. And God says, yeah, I, I am going to fix that. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to raise up the combined armies of the Middle East and Asia, and they're going to come over to the United States, and they're going to wipe out your country, defeat your army, destroy your cities, kill most of your population, and exile the rest. How would you feel if that's what God said? God, that's not what we were looking for. God, that's not what I was praying for. God, your solution is worse than the problem. The the problem of social injustice, that's bad. But the solution, the Babylonians coming in and wiping out our country, that's worse. God, what are you doing? Habakkuk is even more torn up now. Social injustice bothered him. Babylonians, even worse. So he turns back to God and he asks a second question. That's what we pick up in verse 12. Habakkuk says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We will not die. You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge. You, O Rock, have established them to correct. So Habakkuk is just restating to the Lord, here's what you've just said. Here's your plan. Now the question, verse 13. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil. You cannot look on wickedness with favor. So why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? Habakkuk saying, yeah, God, we're bad, but they're worse. God, how can you look on, with favor upon the Babylonians? How can you give them victory over us? God, that's not just. God, how can you allow this evil? Why are you doing this, God? 
Now, Habakkuk's actually asking one of the big questions of life, one of the most profound questions that we face in life. It's a question that all of us at some point in our lives are going to ask. It's a question that shows up in a number of different forms. God, you are holy, so how can you allow so much evil in this world? God, you are good, so how can you allow so many bad things to happen? God, you are loving, so how can you allow so much suffering? All of us will ask some form of that question. And when we do, it probably won't be hypothetical. God, how do you allow suffering in in such a generic way? No, it's going to be personal. God, you say you are loving. You say you are holy. You say you are good. So why are you allowing me to suffer? Why are you allowing me to face this pain? It's a question that all of us will ask at some point. I know I have asked it at many times, at many points in my life. Before God blessed us with Luke and Gracie, Julie and I went through a, a, a long struggle with infertility. Um, and, and as a husband, it was, it was painful. Uh, all my friends were dads and I, I wanted to be a dad with them. I, I really looked forward to that. But it was far more painful for my wife. God designed her to have and care for children. He he tied that up into her identity. And and to see month after month, my wife grieving over the lack of our ability to get pregnant, oh, it just broke my heart. And every time that that, that we would find out that we're not pregnant, I'd go to the Lord and I'd ask God, you you tell us that you're loving. You tell us that you're good. And, And God, you created my wife to have children. So why are you holding out on us? Why are you allowing us to experience this pain? That's a normal question to ask when we face pain and suffering. All of us at some point in our lives will ask that question. That's the question that ends chapter one of the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk has thrown this question to God. Now God answers in chapter two. So let's turn to chapter two of the book. We'll pick up God's answer starting in verse two. Then the Lord answered me and said, record the vision and inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run for the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal and it will not fail though it tarries wait for it for it will certainly come. It will not delay. Behold as for the proud one. His soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. Now, now let me set this up for you. Verses two and three basically set up God's answer. They're not God's answer. That's verse four. Verses two and three set the stage for it. In verse two, God is saying, Habakkuk, what I'm about to tell you, my answer, it's really important. I want you to write it down in permanent fashion on stone tablets. And I want you to run from city to city of Judah sharing my answer. People need to hear this. And then verse three, he's saying, Habakkuk, I want you to listen carefully because my word is gonna prove true. You're gonna see that my answer is right. It may take time, but, but wait for it. I will prove that my word is true. And then we get the answer in verse four. Let me read that again for you. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. Now, now you look at verse four and you realize that that doesn't seem to be an answer to Habakkuk's question. Habakkuk asked why. God, why are you doing this? But, but God doesn't tell him why. God doesn't explain himself. That's, that's often the case in life. When we face pain and suffering, we want to know why. God, why am I in this pain? Why am I suffering? God doesn't usually give us a detailed answer to that. We may not know until we see him in heaven why he allowed us to go through pain and suffering. He doesn't want us to worry about the why. That's not what's most important. What's most important is our response. And so God changes the discussion for Habakkuk. He turns Habakkuk to a better question, a more important question. The question that Habakkuk really should have asked. This is the question that matters. When we're in pain, when we're in suffering, the question that we really should ask is, God, how do I make it through this? God, I am suffering. How do I get through this? 
God, how do I make it through the pain of life? That's the right question. That's the question that Habakkuk should have asked. That's a question that, that matters a lot more than the reasons for our suffering is how do we respond? How do we make it through? God answers that question in verse four. He tells Habakkuk how to make it through the pain and suffering of life. He lays out for Habakkuk that there are really two ways that human beings can respond to pain. We have two options in front of us whenever we face pain and suffering, two ways of life. The first way of life is the way of pride, the the proud one of verse four. This is the person who relies upon himself to make it through the hard things in life, his resources to make it through pain. The second way is the way of faith, the person who trusts in God who relies upon God to make it through the hard times in life. Those are the two options, the only two options that are available to human beings in the midst of pain and suffering. You can rely on yourself or rely on God. Now, uh, let's go through each of these in more detail. Let me kind of walk you guys through this. The first option, the way of pride, this is a person who relies upon himself. He, he relies upon what he brings to the table of life whenever he faces pain and suffering, his resources, his abilities. That's what he relies upon. Now, God calls it pride. This person may not feel prideful, but whenever you rely upon yourself to make life work, that is by definition pride. You are saying to God, I have what it takes as a human being. I can make my life work. That's pride. Now, now there's a lot of different forms that this way of pride takes, a lot of different ways that you'll see people relying upon themselves. The first option is they'll rely upon their money and possessions. These were the wicked people within Judah. They relied upon their money to make life work. I rely upon my money to corrupt the court system so it always rules in my favor. They were shielding themselves from pain with money. Now, I think this one is very common in our country, not so much the the corruption part, I hope, uh, but more just the, the, the reliance upon money. For so many Americans, their security in life is tied up with their bank account. They are secure depending on the size of their wealth. They're relying upon themselves on the money that they provide. Second form that this can take is is you rely upon your strength, upon your vitality to help you through the hard times of life. This is the Babylonians. They relied upon their strength to shield them from pain and suffering. Another form, very common, especially, well, really for all of us, we rely upon relationships. If I surround myself with the right people who love me and value me, that's what gets me through the hard times. I'm like upon myself, upon my relationships. Another form this takes, rely upon my intellect. When life gets hard, I turn to my brains. I turn to my intellect, my education, my abilities, my talents. That's what gets me through the day. That's particularly popular in a college town like this. Final one, number five, uh, we rely upon our entertainment. Okay, I might not be able to buy my way out of hard times. I may not be able to think my way out of hard times, but worst case scenario, I'll just drown out the hard times by turning on entertainment. Turn on the TV, I turn on movies, video games, I go to restaurants, I go on vacation. I do whatever it takes to surround myself with pleasurable distractions and drown out the pain. I turn to the entertainment I can provide. I think that last one is very common in our society, maybe the most common. Now, none of those things I mentioned are bad things. Did you notice that? TV, movies, video games, eating out, vacations, just like, just like education, just like, uh, just like money. None of those are bad things. They become bad when, we're, when we rely upon them to get us through life. That's when they become bad. Now, I, I look at this list and I'll confess to you guys, there's a number of items on that list that I've been guilty of. When life has gotten hard, I have often turned to these things, these things that I can provide myself to get myself through it. Often it is entertainment. It's that last one. I have a hard day. What do I do? I come home and I turn on the TV. Again, nothing wrong with the TV, but rather than going to God in faith, I drown out my pain on the TV. 
That's so common in this world we live in that's so full of entertainment, so full of distraction. So whatever form it takes, the first way that so many people respond to the pain and suffering of life is they turn to themselves. They rely upon what they bring to the table. God contrasts that way of life with the way of faith, with a person who responds to pain and suffering by turning to the Lord in trust. Turning to the Lord and saying, God, I believe that you will get me through this. I trust in your resources, not my resources, to get me through this pain and suffering. Now, now what exactly are we called to believe in? What, what are we placing our faith in that gets us through the, the pain and suffering of life? Well, for Habakkuk, God tells him in the rest of chapter 2. For Habakkuk, what, what he needed to have faith in was that at the end of the day, God would make everything right. At the end of the day, God would bring judgment upon the wicked Babylonians that were going to come in and destroy his country. Now, all of chapter 2 is about is basically a prophecy of that coming judgment upon the Babylonians. It's summed up in verse 8. This is of the Babylonians. God is saying to them, because you Babylonians have looted many nations, all the remainder of the peoples will loot you because of human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the town and all its inhabitants. God's point is, Habakkuk, here's what I want you to believe. I want you to believe that at the end of the day, the Babylonians are going to get what's coming to them. I am going to make things right. I am going to punish them. I'm going to put them in their place. The wicked will be punished. The righteous will be delivered. Habakkuk, trust me that I'm going to make things right. That's what he needed to believe. Now, what about us? When we face pain and suffering, what promises of God are we supposed to have faith in? Well, uh, there's a whole lot of promises that God makes, but I want to share with you guys a few that have meant a lot to me when I face pain and suffering. You may have a different list, but this is what is spoken to me, the promises of God that I've relied upon when I suffer. The first is Hebrews 13, 5. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Never means that there is not a time when God ever leaves me. That includes suffering. When I am in pain, when I suffer, when life is disappointing, I know that God is right there with me in the middle of my suffering. He never leaves me. He's close to me even in the midst of it. Second, I turn to Romans 8, 28. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. God is saying in the midst of your pain and suffering, know that I'm going to take that suffering and I'm going to redeem it. I'm going to use it to work good in your life. Now that's not saying that God rejoices in our suffering. He doesn't remember suffering was never part of his created intent, came after sin. But what God is promising is that in his power and his wisdom and his goodness, he will take that suffering and he will use it for genuine, lasting, eternal good in your life. That's the second promise that I turn to. Third is Revelation 21, one through four. It's a passage about life in the new heavens and the new earth, what we have to look forward to in the future. And in verse four, God promises, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. God promises that our pain and our suffering is only temporary. It's not gonna last God promises that at some point in the future, he is going to take all of your pain and suffering and he's going to replace it with unending joy. He's going to step into your life, remove the pain and replace it with happiness and contentment and peace forever. So the way of faith is the person who, when they face pain and suffering, they turn to God and they say, God, I trust you that in the midst of my pain and suffering, you are here with me. 
You are going to use my pain for my good. And in the future, you're going to replace all my pain with unending joy. That's the way of faith. Okay, so whenever we face difficult times, we have a choice between relying upon ourselves, what we bring to the table, or relying upon the promises of God to make it through. Now, God not only lays out these two choices before us, but in verse four, he tells us how he evaluates these choices. The choice is ours. We can choose either option one or option two on a daily basis. The choice is ours, but the judgment, the evaluation, the results are God's. He tells us how he evaluates each choice. He says that of the, the, the proud one, the one who relies upon himself, his soul is not right within him. That's That's not a statement about how the guy feels about himself. It's a statement about how God sees him. His soul is judged by God, not right. He has made the wrong choice. He has made a poor choice trusting in himself. In contrast, the one who relies upon faith, God looks down and says, that was a righteous choice. Relying upon me and faith, that was right. I honor that. Okay, so that's God's evaluation. Not right if we rely upon self, right if we rely upon God. What are the results or outcome of God's evaluation? Well, he tells us in, chapter, in, in verse four. Um, now, the, the first one, the one on the left, we have to supply this from the context, from the parallelism. Uh, the one on the right is explicit. Basically, if you live by pride, if you rely upon yourself, the result in chapter two, verse four, is you will die. Death is the outcome of that choice. In contrast, the one who lives by faith, what is the outcome? He will live, life. Now, for Habakkuk's audience, life and death were very literal. This was a matter of life and death for he and his audience. Uh, the, The wicked in Judah who relied upon their money, when the Babylonians came in, what happened to them? They died. The Babylonians, when God's justice caught up with them, what happened to them? They died. Okay, but the the few people within Israel who walked in faith, who relied upon God, men like Jeremiah, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, what happened to them? Life. God protected them. He watched over them. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were exiled to Babylon, yet God stayed with them and he protected them. He was a shield about them. He blessed them so that they became these prominent men. He delivered them even in the lion's den, in the fiery furnace. God gave them life because they responded to trials in faith. So for Habakkuk's, for Habakkuk's audience, this choice that they faced between rely on myself or rely upon God was a matter literally of life and death. Uh, but I think in this verse, God is actually presenting something bigger, a general principle that is always true for all people. That's why Habakkuk 2.4 appears multiple times throughout the Bible, multiple times in your New Testament, because authors keep coming back to it and saying that is always true. This is a general principle for all of life. If I rely upon myself, the result is always God's judgment. When I rely upon God, the result is always his blessing. That's always the case in every facet of our lives. If we rely upon what we bring to the table, whether money, intellect, power, relationships, entertainment, the result is always God's judgment. When we rely upon God to get us through, the result is always his blessing. Now, that's true in our salvation, The biggest problem that human beings face is the problem of sin. We're born desiring to do the things we know that we shouldn't. We're born desiring to do things that are in disobedience to God, that are sin, and that sin separates us from God. He is holy, he is just, he must punish sin. So all human beings have this incredible problem of sin. Now, there's two ways that human beings try to deal with that problem. The first is relying upon myself. 
whether through my good works, I try to uh, outweigh my sin through my good works, whether in the name of Christianity or Judaism or Islam or any religion, I'm, I'm relying upon my works or, or I rely upon my intellect to explain away and justify my sin or, or I rely upon the entertainment I can find to drown out the problem of sin. Whatever choice you make, if you rely upon yourself, the outcome is always the same. What is that outcome? Eternal death. Forever separation from God if you rely upon yourself because you can't outrun your sin. You can't outweigh your sin. You will be judged for your sin. That is a way of death. Fortunately, there's another choice. Rather than relying upon my resources to fix my sin problem, I rely upon God's resources. I rely upon what he's already done. God's already fixed your sin problem by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to take your sin upon himself and die in your place on the cross for your punishment. And then he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That fixed your sin problem. All you have to do is believe it. Believe that you are righteous in God's sight by faith in Jesus' death and resurrection. The moment you place your faith in Jesus' death and resurrection, God looks down from heaven and declares you are forever righteous. And as a result, what do you receive? Eternal life. Life with God now and forever. So our salvation, it's all about this choice between am I going to rely upon myself to get heaven or am I going to rely upon what God has done? For those of us who have made that choice, who've trusted in Jesus's death and resurrection for salvation, this principle is still true on a daily basis. Every day, we, we Christians, we believers, we face the choice. Will I make it through the pain and suffering of today by relying upon myself or relying upon God? If I choose the first, if I choose to rely upon myself, I'm going to roll up my sleeves, I'm going to work hard, I'm going to do what I, what I can do to make it through the pain and suffering of today. The result is always God's judgment. When we rely upon ourselves, that, that is, again, by definition, pride, and pride is always sin, and God disciplines sin. God loves us too much to leave us in our sin. So when we rely upon ourselves, upon our resources, money, strength, intellect, entertainment, God is going to step into our lives and he's going to strip away our joy and our peace and our satisfaction. He's going to make life uncomfortable for us to help us to see the error of our ways. And if we continue to rely upon ourselves, then he's going to begin to cause our lives to fall apart so that we can experience the consequences of our sin. And if we continue down that path and when we die and we stand before Jesus Christ for judgment, we will lose out on reward. We'll still get heaven, but we'll lose out on honor because Jesus Christ does not reward a self-reliant life. It's not what he's looking for. But if instead, on a daily basis, we choose to respond to our pain and our suffering in faith, trusting that God is with us, trusting that God is using our pain for good, trusting that he will replace our pain with unending joy, if that's how we're living life, then God responds by blessing our lives. He fills us with the power of his Holy Spirit who produces supernatural joy and peace and patience and love and kindness and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. We, we still experience the pain and suffering, but now we have supernatural resources to help us endure the pain. And then when we get to the end of this life and we stand before Jesus Christ, we receive reward because the life that Jesus rewards is a life of faith. That's what honors him. That's what he loves to see is people who trust him. So as you go through this life, you're gonna experience pain and suffering on a regular basis. That's unavoidable. The question is, how are you gonna respond? Every time you face pain and suffering, God's answer to you is the same. God is saying, trust me. Trust me. Believe that I'm gonna get you through this. Believe that I'm with you in the midst of your pain. Believe that I'm gonna use it for your good and that I'm gonna replace it with my unending joy in the future. Just believe, just have faith. 
The reason that I, I chose Habakkuk this morning to end our summer series is because this is really what God has been teaching me, I feel like, this summer. The summer has not been a normal summer for Julie and I. It's not been restful and relaxing. It's actually been uh, very difficult. It's been a very stressful summer. Um, we're, we're pretty tired. And, and as, as we were going through it, I, I just kept going before the Lord and, and wrestling with this. What's going on? And I feel like God kept bringing me back to Habakkuk. He kept bringing me back to this passage and reminding me, you, you, Blake, you, you've been a pastor now for, it's going on seven years and you've been to seminary and you've read a lot of books and guess what? Uh, buddy, I, I don't care about your works. I don't care about your theology. What I want from you today in the midst of this difficult day, Blake, I want faith. I want faith. doesn't matter how far you get in the Christian life. Blake, I want faith. I want you to believe it really is that simple. Christian life sounds complicated, but it's actually really simple. God just wants faith. He wants us to believe today a little bit more than we did yesterday, to trust him a little bit more than we did yesterday. That's success for me. That was this summer is just learning that lesson once again for me, that my my measure of success each and every day is, did I trust God a little bit more today? Now, Now, let's get to the application part of this. How do we actually grow trust? You know, when we face pain and suffering, the natural response isn't trust. We don't feel faith. What we feel is stress and anxiety and doubt when we're in the midst of pain and suffering. I'm sure that's what Habakkuk felt. He just heard his nation, everybody around him is going to be wiped out by the Babylonians. He's probably not feeling happy and faithful. (laughs) He's probably feeling doubt and stress and anxiety. Uh, So what do we do with that? How do we answer doubt and grow in faith? Well, Habakkuk shows us how in chapter three. Uh, Chapter three is really the reason that Habakkuk is part of the heroes of the faith study. Uh, This is the chapter where Habakkuk steps up and he's a stud. He's awesome. He puts his name in the annals of the history of faith right here in chapter three. So Habakkuk is probably feeling overwhelmed by fear and stress and anxiety because of the pain and suffering of life, but he doesn't stay there. He doesn't live in the midst of his pain and suffering. Instead, he does something different. Look with me, starting in chapter three, verse one. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to the Shigeneth. Now, I don't know what Shigeneth means. No one does. It's some kind of song. He is, he is singing the words we're about to read. Lord, I have heard the report about you and I fear. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk's just being honest with God. God, I'm fearful. I hear what you're gonna do and it terrifies me. Please, Lord, have mercy on us in the midst of your wrath. But then we get Habakkuk's response, starting in verse three. God comes from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covers the heavens and the earth is full of his praise. His radiance is like the sunlight. He has rays flashing from his hand and there is the hiding of his power. Habakkuk starts with worship. In the midst of the pain of life, he chooses to turn to God and worship. Worship is simply declaring to God how great he is. You can choose any of his many attributes. Habakkuk focuses on power. He declares to the Lord how powerful he is. He is powerful over all creation. He has all power in his hands. He is mighty and wondrous and glorious. Habakkuk starts with worship. That's the first part of his response, the pain and suffering of his life. But but then he adds something else to it. Look, starting in verse eight. Did the Lord rage against the rivers? Or was your anger against the rivers? Or was your wrath against the sea that you rode on your horses on your chariots of salvation? Skip to verse 13. You went forth for the salvation of your people. For the salvation of your anointed, you struck the head of the house of evil to lay him open from thigh to neck. 
What Habakkuk is doing here, he's speaking in past tense of when God showed up and delivered the Israelites. He has a lot to say about water and God's power over the sea. I think he's particularly looking back to the Exodus when God delivered the nation of Israel supernaturally through the Red Sea. I think Habakkuk's looking back at the past and he's practicing gratitude. He's saying, God, I choose to remember what you've done for us in the past. I choose to remember that in our hour of need, you showed up in power and conquered the Egyptians and delivered us. Habakkuk just rattles off to God. God, this is what you've done for us. I remember, I remember, I remember what you've done. Thank you that you've done this. Thank you that you've done that. So Habakkuk turns to the Lord in worship and then adds to worship gratitude, thankfulness. And as a response, look what happens. End of the chapter, starting in verse 16. I heard and my inward parts trembled. At the sound, my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones and in my place I tremble because I must wait quietly for the day of distress for the people to arise who will invade us. But though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no fruit, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He has made my feet like hinds feet and he makes me walk on my high places. What Habakkuk is doing is expressing extraordinary faith in God. This is actually one of the most beautiful passages you'll find anywhere in scripture. Habakkuk starts by saying, even though everything in my world, everything I see around me is awful, All I see is destruction. The circumstances of my life argue that God doesn't exist, that God doesn't care about us. But I choose to believe. I choose to believe that God is gonna be exalted even in my pain. I choose to believe that God is gonna save me. He's gonna rescue me. He's gonna put me up on my high places where I am saved, where I'm protected from this. I choose to believe Habakkuk responds to pain and suffering with worship and gratitude and that worship and gratitude add together to create faith in his life. Worship and gratitude is how you nurture the seed of faith. When you feel doubt, when you feel stress, when you feel anxiety, turn to God and worship and gratitude and you will see faith begin to flourish in your lives. Now, this can be very simple. There's nothing magical about this. When you face a hard day, whether it's school or work or in your family, when you are suffering, when you are in pain, when you are disappointed, what Habakkuk is teaching us is in that moment, don't turn the TV on. Don't turn the radio on. Don't go talk to a friend. Don't seek escape. No, don't rely upon yourself. No, turn to God. Even for just a minute, even if you have only one minute to spare, just turn to God, spend half that minute in worship. Just remind yourself about the greatness of God. Declare to God his love, his power, his grace, his holiness, his justice, his goodness. Declare to God how great he is. Then spend the second half of it in gratitude. Remind yourself what God has done for you. God, I I was a sinner. I was destined for hell. You stepped in. You saved me, even though it cost your son's life. You gave up your son's life for my good. Not only that, God, I used to be a lonely man. I I was lonely in life and you brought this, this beautiful wife to me. You provided Julie for me. Not only that, but, but for years we tried to have kids and we couldn't and we were grieving and yet, yet you stepped in and you provided Luke and Gracie for us. Just remind yourself of all the good that God has done for you. A minute of worship and thanksgiving and all of a sudden you will see faith begin to blossom in your life. Now that's something you have to practice every day, maybe multiple times a day when you face pain and suffering. Your temptation is gonna be either roll up your sleeves and do it yourself or seek escape through entertainment. Resist those urges. 
and instead turn to God and worship and praise and he will grow faith in your life. Let's turn to the Lord and pray for his help to do exactly that. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you for the God that you are. We thank you that whether in good times or bad times, uh, you are always the same God. You are good, you are loving, you are powerful, you are holy, you are just. Lord, we praise you that you love us so much that you've sent your son. How can we not trust you with everything in our lives? Lord, thank you for the God that you are. Thank you for how you've worked so faithfully in our lives, that you have always watched out for us, that you've protected us, and that you have promised that in the future you'll replace all of our pain with unending joy. We're so grateful for that, Lord. We pray, Father, that you would grow our faith, that we would become a people who just trust you, who trust you implicitly to get us through the hard times of life, that we we don't turn to ourselves, we don't rely upon ourselves, but we constantly, day after day, turn to you in faith, believing that you will be with us and that you will get us through the hard times of life and bless us. Father, grow our faith, develop it through the power of your spirit. We pray that we would be a people who honors and glorifies you through our faith. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, God bless you guys. Have a great day.